about today, and this topic is so important. All of us, I feel like at different points in our life, might ask the question, God, where are you? God, what are you doing right now in my life? And I think that's such an important question to ask, but God's omnipresence, God being everywhere, says something about that. And whenever I was thinking about who might be talking today, I was like, who better than two spiritual directors whose job is to help people identify God's presence in their life. And what we have in store for y'all is an absolute treat. And they're gonna maybe give you some tools to help you guys experience and, and discern and identify God's working in your life. So I pray that you come into this with a, an open heart because God has something for you here today through these, these words. It's gonna be really good. And I don't wanna spoil anything else. So without... Going further into detail, please give a warm welcome for Nancy Boffman and Abby Dingus. Thank you. Oh, yeah, this is your mic. Good morning. Nancy and I are so honored to share with you all about an incredibly transformative aspect of God that has transformed us as well, God's presence. There is a story that David Foster Wallace shares in a college commencement speech. There are two fish swimming along, swim, swim, and an older fish comes swimming the opposite direction, and he sees them, and he nods, and he says, good morning, boys. How's the water? And they keep on going, and then they look at each other, and one goes, what's water? This is the perfect metaphor for God's presence because it's all around us. And we just want to be people who learn how to be aware of his presence with us. God's omnipresence. This is God's ability to be everywhere at once. That God is here. You need help up there? You got it? Okay. <laughs> that God is here. That every room you ever walk into you are welcome there because God is the host. And it says in Job 38 that God is even sustaining life in the middle of nowhere, in the wilderness, because that's the kind of God he is. He's everywhere. We're never truly alone. Psalm 139, 7 through 10, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hands will guide me and your strength will support me. Amen. Here the psalmist is saying that he has felt and he believes that God's presence is in a vast array of circumstances. In fact, in every circumstance. Everyone. A.W. Tozer has this amazing quote that Nancy found. There is an unseen deity present, a knowing, feeling personality, and he is indivisible from the Father and the Son. So that if you were to suddenly be transferred to heaven itself, you couldn't be any closer to God than you are now. For God is already here. Changing your geographical location would not bring you any nearer to God, nor God any nearer to you, because the indivisible trinity is present. And we want to be reminded of this powerful truth this morning. Mm -hmm. We 
quoted this out this morning out of Acts 17, and it records this, he is not so far away from any one of us, for in him we live and we move and we have our very being. I remember sitting in a pew a few years ago. This was a very, very broken time in my life. And the question was read out from the Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? And the answer says the chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But that was a wake-up call for me. I was very dutiful. I was very obedient. But did I enjoy his presence? Was I even aware of his presence? From that day forward, I think God began a quest in me to start noticing him and absolutely delighting in his presence. It's changed everything. I continually grow to see him in all things. I have grown in accepting his ability, uh, abiding love for me and his acceptance of me as I am. As he pours out his grace and mercy, it started with that little seed being planted that Sunday morning to start being attentive to our ever-present God. Mm. What a powerful moment yeah, it that's was. truly changed it was. your life. We are now going to look at scripture, and we're going to see how God's presence has always dwelled with us. In fact, that he's always wanted to dwell with us. This is what God is all about, pursuing people with his presence. We're going to start at the very beginning in the, in the garden. We read in Genesis that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. And actually, this passage where it says this is when Adam and Eve have just eaten of the fruit and they're hiding. And it says God was walking in the cool of the day and he called out to them and they answered him. So this shows us that he walked in the garden. They knew each other's voices. And this makes me wonder what it was like before this happened. Yeah. It makes me wonder what it was like to walk and talk with God. And this, from this, we can glean that God didn't just create the world to then sit back and watch it unfold. He created the world to participate in it, to be a part of what he created. Then later, through God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his people grew to a nation of hundreds of thousands while in Egypt. And it's time for God to lead them back to the promised land. As they traveled through the desert, his presence was the center of every single encampment. Every tribe was instructed how to set up camp around the tabernacle so that people could witness the cloud by day and the pillar of fire at night that hovered above the tabernacle that housed the Ark of the Covenant. It is even referred to as the Ark of His Presence. It was His presence that led them provided for them, protected them. God was very clear through Moses how the ark was handled because this was God's way of visually showing how present he was with his people. 
The Ark of the Covenant was later then moved to Jerusalem to be housed in the temple, where again, God's people knew God was present. Mm. These ways of God being present in the Old Testament are powerful. But God wanted us to see that he actually wants to be even closer to us. So he came closer and was carried in a woman's womb. Because God wanted us to know how much he loved the world and wanted the world to know what he was like. So Jesus came and was given the name Emmanuel, which means God with mm-hmm. us. And in John 1.14, it says that Jesus came, made his dwelling among us, and tabernacled with us. God came here. Mm-hmm. And then he got even closer. The night Jesus was betrayed and arrested, Jesus explained that he was going to leave them. He knew they were troubled, and he knew they were afraid, confused, and extremely sad. The one they had learned from, walked with, shared life with, their own rabbi, was telling them he was going to leave them But he gives this word of comfort, John 14. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I have come to you. And then later, John continues to record, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I heard Melissa Helser one time say this about the Spirit, and it, I've never forgotten it. She says, the Holy Spirit came to swallow up our loneliness Ever. Amen. Say that again. (laughs) The Holy Spirit came to swallow up our loneliness forever. Amen. Amen. These truths about God can bring up a great question. If God is around us and within us, then how do we become aware of it? Mm -hmm. Exodus 3, 1 through 4. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush has not burned. When the Lord saw him turn aside, God called to him, from the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And God and Moses then have a conversation where God says, I've heard the prayers of my people and I'm going to deliver them. And you are actually going to share this with my people and you're also gonna share it with the Pharaoh. And what is significant though about this story? What, what do we see that Moses did? It said he turned aside 
two times it says he turned aside and that God saw him turn aside and then he called out to him by name. This is amazing. Moses was just going about his normal life shepherding and then he recognizes that something is happening. Something is happening. And he chooses to stop what he's doing and turn aside and responds by investigating. And the Lord, the Lord meets him in a way that he never expected and would have totally missed in that moment if he would have just kept on going. We too have moments like this. And when this happens, we have a few choices. We can just continue on the way that we were going and just ignore it. And that's easy and that's what we do most of the time but we can also do what Moses did here and we can recognize that something out of the ordinary is happening or that God is in the midst of the ordinary whenever we're doing dishes at the sink or hiking or standing in the checkout line we can recognize that God is there and respond to it by maybe asking a question like, God, where are you? What do you see? What are you feeling right now? Asking God to give us his heart in that moment. And oftentimes, we think that we can only experience God's presence in a worship session or a conference or a mountaintop experience, and we can but God gave us of himself so that we could always experience him and be transformed by his presence, even in the mundane. And also be transformed by his presence when things are extremely confusing and heart-wrenching and difficult. And what we see in this passage is that from this moment on, Moses was changed and amazing things happen for the people of God because he turned aside in that moment. And we, when we become aware of God's presence and learn to recognize and respond to it, we too are changed. Let's talk a little bit about how we are changed by God's presence. And so, first of all, I would like for Abby to just kind of share a very personal story that talks about how God did change something and was very present in an issue. You want to share that story? Yeah. So as in relationship and marriage, Kyle and I one time were having one of those tension moments where we were both hurt by the other person. And we both were saying how the person had hurt us and we were just in this cycle of feeling hurt and wanting the other person to see that. And I remember in that moment just saying, Holy Spirit, would you help me? Would you help? It was, I, I, it was amazing. The <laughs> Spirit showed up and gave me his heart for Kyle. And instantly I felt compassion and empathy and I had seen how I had hurt Kyle. And, and it led me to tears in that moment even just seeing Kyle, the one I love, and seeing Holy Spirit's heart for him. And from that moment in that conversation, it totally changed. Like it totally shifted and we were able to work through it and both own how we'd hurt the other and apologize. That's what the Spirit wants to do. Wants to help us recognize his presence in all of these moments. All of these moments. Every moment. If God's presence is truly what transforms us, 
then encountering God's presence is what we should always be seeking. God's presence is all around us. We're just not always aware of it. I think of the story of the child Samuel that's recorded in 1 Samuel 3. I remember when Hannah left him to be raised there at the tabernacle by Eli. And in the middle of the night, it tells us that he was lying right there in the tabernacle next to the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. He was lying right there. And in the middle of the night, God started calling out to him, and he didn't recognize it. And it happened several times. And finally, Eli said, go back and listen. That's God speaking. And I love the answer that Samuel gave. And I want that answer to be my answer when I know his presence is trying to get through to me. He said, speak. Your servant is listening. Just like Samuel, it's so comfortable with his proximity that we don't realize or I'm so unaware of his presence. But what we need to do, don't let proximity make us comfortable or be unaware, but learn how to be attentive to his presence because he's always wanting to show something to us, to tell us something, or do something. He's always present. Let me show you another quote that I that I have that I really enjoy when I process this staying present. We may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. The world is crowded with him. He walks everywhere incognito, and the incognito is not always easy to penetrate. The real labor is to remember to attend. In fact, to come awake, still more, remain awake. Coming awake and staying awake takes practices. Thus, the need for disciplines and rhythms in our day. Other than regularly reading his living word, we've put together a few practices that we use and we suggest so I want Abby to start that. And first of all, you know, sometimes we may see her up here helping lead in worship. But I want, first of all, for her to expand what that word worship means. So start with that one. In just a matter of a couple seconds, I'll explain some of what worship yeah. means, this practice of worship. So I think oftentimes in this time and culture, we've taken worship and we've boiled it down to Sunday mornings when we sing. Yeah. And we do that without even thinking, too, sometimes, right? Well, in Romans 12, 1 through 2, it says worship is actually living a surrendered life, being a living sacrifice. And what this means is to be in participation with God under the lordship of Jesus. And the way that I teach worship, the most simple way to teach it, is actually to use the same words I used earlier, to recognize and respond to God. It's that simple. That's worship. So that means that whenever I take in a sunset, which lately they've been amazing. Amazing. <laughs> that's worship. Whenever I'm in a conversation with someone or whenever I'm laughing, that's worship. Whenever I'm doing something that is life-giving and just lines up with the gifts God has given me, that's worship. Because we are recognizing and responding to God. 
And this, this spiritual practice of worship has transformed my life and continues to. And it's been doing that for people of God for thousands of years, both individually and communally. And we're experiencing that here at 4th Avenue. There is something happening when we gather and we worship. We can feel his yeah. presence. And the more we press into this, the more opportunities God has to transform us, the more opportunities God has to show us his heart, to renew us, to give us vision, to ground us, and to show us his heart. Another practice that I talk about a lot, and some of you go, oh, don't let me hear that again, silence and solitude. Creating silence and solitude in your life is critical if we're going to practice the presence, letting God cultivate that awareness that he's present. You know, sometimes it doesn't take a long time to do this. We can just do it in moments of our day. And sometimes we need hours or maybe even days in silence and solitude. But here's the idea. There can be chaos and noise all around me, and I'm going to tune that out and think, God is present with me. What does he want to show me, tell me, or do? And just shut it out. Whether I'm standing in a grocery checkout line, I love this one. When you're on a treadmill at your workout, just say, hey, God, we've got 20 minutes together. What do you want to say? What, what do we talk about? Create silence and solitude purposefully. It's one of the greatest rhythms you will have in your day. Now, you've got another one that's my favorite one. too. Yeah. <laughs> Many fathers and mothers of the faith have actually kept journals and writings. And this practice of journaling helps us process what's going on in our heart and minds and just get it out. It's a place where we can be honest with God, wrestle with God, ask God hard questions. And it's also a place, journaling for me is a place where I interact with scripture. I'm reading and then I go, ooh, that was amazing. Or I'm writing down a verse that stood out to me. Or I'm asking God a question that lines up with what I'm reading. And the seasons of life where I have engaged in this practice have been incredibly fruitful. And I've experienced intimacy with God in this place whenever this has been a practice that's regular. Something I do often, though, is I will write down at the top of a page, what do you have for me today? How do you see me? And then I just start writing down the things that are coming up in my heart, and I just write them down. And then it's really amazing because there's sometimes when I look back and I look at the page, I'm like, oh, my word, how did I think of that? Like, that didn't come from me. Like, I wouldn't have thought of saying that. And that's a way that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And so this practice of journaling is another avenue of the Spirit revealing to us who he is in his presence. Yeah. Do you I, want to use yeah. my mic? No? Okay. I just making sure oh. you could be heard. Okay. I love um, journaling my prayers as mm, well because I think, okay, this is something that God really wants me to tune into. I love that. Let me give you another one. And this is one that you already practice as well. And it's generosity and thanksgiving. Sometimes we're referred to as a very generous church. But I'm not talking about just treasure, just your finances. I'm talking about your time and your energy and the things that you do. Sometimes we need to be asking ourselves, how can I be the most generous person in the room? 
how can I serve? How can I be aware? Um, you know, sometimes we think, and when we think of being the most generous person in the room, we think, oh, that's an extrovert's job. No, introvert or extrovert, when you walk into a room, how can I be the most generous person in the room? 1 Corinthians 14 tells us about this, and it says, be the one who strengthens, encourages, and comforts. Strengthens, encourages, and comforts. SEC, you've heard me teach that before. Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. It's part of who you are. It's a great practice of generosity and thanksgiving. And you know, there's something that happens within all of us when we don't get the promotion we want or we don't get the accolades we think we deserve or things seem unfair or unjust. Something that creeps its ugly head is resentment. And generosity and thanksgiving are practices that absolutely shore that up. It just is an anecdote for resentment. So you're already doing that. But just keep it up. We all need that. Mm -hmm. All right. Give us another one, Abby. This spiritual practice of consolation and desolation is under the umbrella of examine. And what consolation means here is whenever we are turned towards God in a season or a posture of turned towards God in faith, hope, and love. And desolation is when we are turned away from God and away from faith, hope, and love in a season or a posture. And what we actually see here, though, is that we can be in seasons of utter desolation and be in consolation towards God. And we can also be in seasons of consolation but be in desolation with God. Does that make sense? And this is actually a super simple, super simple practice. What you would do is at the end of your day, you would just look back. I don't know what all that squeaking is. But we're doing okay. Um, we would just look back at our day, and you would think about your day, and then you would ask some of these questions. Let's put them on the screen here. So the C is for consolation, D is for desolation. You can take a picture of this if you want. We can give it to you later. But what you would do is then you would ask yourself one consolation question and one desolation question. Super simple. But this practice, if we do this often and this rhythm often, and this is what I found in my life, is I become more aware of God around me and working inside of me because I'm tuning in. So I think about both of these questions and then I write it down as well to help me further process it. That's a great practice of using those types of questions around the dinner table, mm -hmm. teaching your family how to notice God in the day. Absolutely. What was good and what was bad. So if you need to copy or take a picture of those questions, those are just some of the questions. You can couch them in your own words. We're going to do a practice together as a whole church today, though. Are you ready for me to teach you a practice? Yes. It's one you're already doing. You're breathing. That pneuma breath that is going in and out and in and out, that life-giving breath, we're going to add to it. We're going to be mindful of something else while we're breathing in and breathing out. You'll put up the slide that asks, uh, talks about this. What we're going to do is I'm going to have each one of you, and we're going to do this in silence, so don't be intimidated to think somebody else is going to hear your breath prayer. But what I want you to do is I want you to take a moment and I want you to think, what is the biggest thing I'm concerned about right now? 
Or maybe it's what is the thing I'm most joyful over right now? Or where do I have a need or a desire? Or it might be what is an unmet longing? Some of those types of questions. So ask that of yourself right now and kind of hold that thought for just a minute. Then what we're gonna do with that thought is we're gonna break it down into a phrase, a short enough phrase to where half of the phrase can be said silently on the inhale, and the other half of the phrase can be said on the exhale. Inhale and exhale. And I've shown you, or I'm gonna show you three of my favorite um, breath prayers that I do throughout the day at various times. One of them is often called the Jesus Prayer, and I use this a lot. It's um, Jesus Christ, Son of God, on the inhale, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus Christ, Son of God, on the inhale, have mercy on me, a sinner. And do you know when I use this the most? When my judgment, that ugly head that raises itself every once in a while, and I get judgmental of people, Putting that in perspective as I'm a sinner in need of mercy puts that in check immediately. And my relationship with God changes immediately. And what you do is you'll say that three or four, five or six times, whatever. Sometimes I'm driving down the road, I have the noise off in the car, and I'll be saying that, and I've gone 20 minutes, and I've been re repeating that breath prayer because it's so critical to me to break that kind of that Pharisee idea that I have in me. Let me give you another one that I really enjoy saying. Come Holy Spirit, come. Much shorter. Come Holy Spirit, come. On the inhale and on the exhale. And let me tell you when that shows itself a lot is when I see something of injustice or my compassion is just pouring out. It's just like, come Holy Spirit. or. I, I want to make a decision and, I, and I, the wisdom eludes me and I can't make that decision. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Just help me. I feel empty. And here's a third one that I use, and this is a really simple one. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. And that's often used when I feel anxious or the need to be in control. And I know that you don't believe that that could be me, but sometimes I do that. I want to be in control. But peace, be still. Peace, be still. All right, now let's go back to the beginning when I said think of something that you are kind of roaring about on the inside, something that's being unmet, or something that's very positive. Think of a, a phrase and think of it maybe in a phrase that would be scriptural. That, that's a good way to kind of connect with God, that it would be that way. Hold that in your mind. Break it down into where you can say it in an inhale and an exhale. Now, let me give you a couple other things. Unless I'm driving or I'm working around the kitchen, I try to do this sometimes with my eyes closed. So I would suggest you do that in here today. But also, I often will use my hands if it's something I'm needing to receive, I'll just open my hands in a, in a posture of receiving. Or if it's something that I want to give up, it's really gotten a hold of me, I'll just tip my hands over. I want to release that. I want to release that. So you can do some posture with your breath prayer if you want. But does everybody have a breath prayer kind of in your mind you want to say? 
Okay, I'll get us prompted and then after a while I'll close this. Okay, here we go. Close your eyes and be ready. Inhale. Exhale. Let's slow it down. Inhale. Exhale. Inhale. If I went too quickly, you can slow them down as slow as you want. There's just something, just feeling that pneuma breath, breathing inside your lungs, filling your lungs, and being mindful. God, you've got this. Your presence has got this. Mm -hmm. I find myself doing breath prayer often. So I wonder what it would be like. Thank you for leading us through that. It's so good to be still. I wonder what it would be like this week if each one of us chose one of these and practiced it. Even if it, if you go back to the other slide, just notice which one stands out to you, which one you need, which one is the Holy Spirit bringing up to you, and let's practice it. You don't have to do it every day. You could, maybe three times a day. I just wonder what it would do. I just wonder what it would do in you, what God would reveal in you, and in your family and in this church. But oftentimes these things start off as discipline, right? We don't always feel excited to do it or it doesn't always sound like a good idea, but we do it because we want to grow. We want to experience God. And so that's why we engage in these disciplines. But then what we notice is that these disciplines then turn into desires and we start to desire it and we yearn for it more because we're experiencing something here with God. And then it goes into delight where we learn to delight in who God is and who we are in him and in other people. And that is the sweet place to be with God. But oftentimes we just want to show up at the delight. At least I do. But it starts with the discipline. It starts with the practicing. And then it grows into that. And that is where we want to be as people of God is to to learn how to delight in God even when things are hard or mundane. Or joyful. It does delight our Father, doesn't it, Abby? It does. <laughs> he just delights in hanging out with you. He just loves it if you just want to converse with him. He just delights in this. We're going to sum this up with a quote that I have from G.K. Chesterton. If you want to put that up, it goes like this. Standing on a London street corner, G.K. Chesterton was approached by a newspaper reporter Sir, I understand that you recently became a Christian. May I ask you one question? Certainly, replied Chesterton. If the risen Christ suddenly appeared at this very moment and stood behind you, what would you do? Chesterton looked at the reporter squarely in the eye and said, He is. He is, isn't he? He's ever-present. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we do want to enjoy you forever. Help us to be aware of your presence. Help us to go open-handed and let you transform us in this presence. Help us be ready to hear your voice. 
just like Samuel. I'm listening, God. Keep speaking. Let us practice these practices that make us more aware. Father, we want to be um, a child of yours that delights in you and glorifies you forever. We praise you for what you've brought to the table today. In Jesus' name, amen.